The Disciplined Investor is underwritten by Interactive Brokers. Trade crypto for less coin on Interactive Brokers. Commissions just 12 to 18 basis points with no hidden spreads, markups, or custody fees. Learn more at ibkr.com slash crypto. And this episode is sponsored by Our Crowd. Wish you were in early on some of the best-performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? Well, check out Our Crowd at ourcrowd.com slash TDI. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. There was the Tootsie, the Jelly, and now the Market Roll. Yes, things are getting a little concerning. Fed officials owning bonds during the crisis and stocks. And now the blowback. Our guest today, Nolan Langford of Left Brain Research. All this and much more on episode number 732 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Welcome to the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Here we are in the mid part of September 2021. And this is episode number 732 of the longest running financial podcast in history. Yes, this is the place, the OG of podcasts in the area of finance. Back in 2007, it all started. Thank you so much for being with me and thank you for joining me. I am Andrew Horowitz and I'm the host of the Disciplined Investor Podcast, as well as the founder of Horowitz & Company, Inc., Wealth Management Investment Advisory. And what we do here each and every week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast is talk about the things that are important to you. And sometimes we get into the nitty-gritty nitty about what is going on with regard to um, maybe a, a mutual fund concept or maybe talking about the markets, the economy, talking about specific or maybe even very broad topics, kind of very difficult things to take on unless we really spend some time thinking about it, drawing conclusions, and then making good decisions, all in the hope, all in the, with the idea that this is all about your financial future, your financial independence, your financial security, and becoming a disciplined investor. That's what it's all about. So, a few things I want to talk about, and I want to get right to our guest because I do want to get into the ins and outs of the idea of research, understanding areas of the markets that are potentially beneficial right now. Because right now we are in a very awkward position, I think, with the aspects of the market being under pressure and seeing some selling that has gone on recently beyond what we've seen for a while. But I want to take a moment with all the busy week that we had this week and Yum Kipper smack in the middle of it and wishing everyone a happy new year for Rosh Hashanah. Hopefully you were able to atone for your sins, all of our Jewish friends that are listeners on Yum Kipper. And now we enter into the holiday of Sukkot uh, in a couple of days. So things are uh, right in the middle of all the holidays right now, but it was a busy week. But one of the things that that really I want to focus in on. And I think it demands that we really understand this is my total disgust with the recent quote news, quote unquote news that Fed officials have been trading in stocks. Now this has been something that we have talked about here. We've talked about it on DH Unplugged. When Powell came in back in the days of Bernanke, we looked at what his holdings were. Same thing for Janet Yellen. We said, hey, you know what? How can these people be unbiased and make decisions that are unbiased if, in fact, they are holding all these positions, particularly Jay Powell, with more money than all of them when he came into office? 
more investments. And while many of those were in ETFs and mutual funds and supposedly in a couple of trust and family trust that he can't do anything with, which, by the way, is a bunch of BS. Just because they're in a family trust does not mean you can't change your investments. Now, while you may not be able to get at your corpus, take money out right now, unless there's a qualifying event, but let's put all that legalese aside for a second. The fact is, a lot of these things are still his money, and he could do what he wants with it. He could direct his brokers to do something with it. And in fact, whether or not he could take it out now is not the point. Whether or not he could touch it, it's a smokescreen. The fact is that we found not only are these officials from the Fed trading in stocks, individual stocks, in ETFs, but they're trading in futures. They're trading in municipal bonds. And who knows what else during the time that they were serving as members of the FOMC and various other parts of the Fed. Is it news? No, we've known this for years, but the optics that now all of a sudden there's a realization that, wait, 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 you guys are spending an inordinate amount of money and it keeps on flowing and interest rates are at zero and we have all these other good things happening and you're not making any moves. And yet at the same time, why? The big question of why? Why? And then when you start to see and unravel things and look at, well, these fellas and gals are also investors. Bad optics. So now they're talking about thinking about changing and looking into the various rules and regulations, the compliance with any of the ethics rules. I mean, it is unethical, in my opinion, to take a post where you have such an incredible amount of potential of moving a market with your moves and owning stocks and bonds. Now, yeah, okay, maybe ethically, maybe by the terms of the Fed, everybody is in compliance. It's possible. Listen, even business show anchors on CNBC, they're not allowed to own individual stocks. I mean, come on, because they know there's a conflict of interest. This is a huge conflict of interest. Serving on the FOMC, making these decisions, and at the same time, owning municipal bonds, which you're actively buying in the open market at the clip of, uh, I think it's $40 billion per month of munis as a part of your quantitative easing program, which is at $120 billion a month. And the fact that you are impacting markets so substantially it's, it's horrifying. Now, prediction. What's going to happen? What's going to happen is they're going to look at this. They're going to change the rules. They're going to do a little bit of scrambling around. They're going to say, hey, you can't do this. They're going to sell their positions. They'll put them into something else. And everybody will be like, oh, that's good. Yeah, that's nice. Now, they should disgorge their profits and they should be censured. But that won't happen. There won't even be a slap on the wrist. Wrist. There won't even be a uh, a public uh, announcement other than the fact of, hey, we've looked at this and, uh, you know, it looks like everybody was in compliance, but we do realize and recognize blah, 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 blah. So therefore, we're going to be doing blah, 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 blah. And it's basically going to be just shoving it all under the carpet. Take that dust and lift that carpet and brush it right over and the guests will never see it. That's what's happening. That's what well, that, that's my prediction of what's going to happen. And I, I think we all need to recognize that, of course, as I've mentioned a thousand times, what we're dealing with is a market that is built on confidence. Confidence in the system, in the backdrop of the people running it, of the Fed officials. And losing confidence in what's going on with them could be very, very disruptive to markets. Now, the other thing I want to kind of talk about before we get to guest, a little brief note on my concern about some of the things that are taking place in Congress right now with regard to, to taxes. What we're seeing is that there is a fundamental change, as we knew would, would be. We knew this was going to happen when the Biden administration took over, Democrats took over. There was going to be a hate the rich 
I mean, we saw what AOC had on her dress, right? Tax the rich, painted in blood red on a white dress at a very expensive, very foo-foo party. The Met Gala. I think it's $30,000 a person to get in. Tax the rich. But that's the rallying call right now. we got to have somebody to blame. Always have to have somebody to blame for our own misery. It can't be our fault that we're not working and not making money. That's not, that's not me. I mean, I haven't worked, let's say, uh, in uh, two years. I've got five job offers to turn them all down. But no, it's not my fault. You know. Fact is that, unfortunately, we are in a situation where there is, uh, you know, a, 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 an attack on the bourgeois. The bougie bougie. Go after them. And maybe rightfully so in some circumstances, but at the at the same time, they're going to paint it with a very broad brush. And if, in fact, we do see the capital gains tax go up, but more so the tax on corporate income, going from 21 to 26 half, that's what they're talking about, there'll be some blowback in the markets that will pretty much effectively wipe out profits over the next year. So something to consider, something to look at, things that are making you question just how much further the rally can go with all this in front of us. But at the same time, we have to recognize that there are opportunities. And that's why I want to bring on my next guest. So let's get right to it. And our guest today is Nolan Langford. He's been a guest of ours plenty of times in the past, and we really like him because he brings a different side of the discussion than we have. Oftentimes we're talking about uh, a lot of theory, but he really digs down because he is... A master in this area, he has uh, an RA firm called Left Brain Wealth Management. Uh, also, he has a research firm we call Left Brain Research, Investment Research. And um, he's been around for a while doing this. And uh, basically, they um, are, are running the numbers, digging down, using a an incredible um, technology that they developed called Jarvis. If you know anything about Jarvis, that uh, should bring up transformer-like concept to you. And uh, let's let's uh, let's see what he's got to say these days. Uh, welcome to the show. I appreciate you uh, coming on again. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. It's always great to be a guest on the show. So, and uh, looking forward to talking markets. So what, what, what came first? Jarvis, that you named your particular, uh, we'll call it AI technology research platform, or... Was it uh, Tony, um, Tony, uh, what's his name? No, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Stark. Oh, yeah, Stark. Sorry about that. Tony, Tony, I don't know where, where my head was there. Tony Stark, or did it, was, did it, did it, was it, was it, was it like, hey, that's what it should be called? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, when I started developing this technology and platforms years and years and years ago, was at the same time, it was right, a little bit after Disney had bought Marvel. And they started releasing the first sort of Marvel movies as we know them. My son at the time was in elementary school and him and I became fanboys. You know, they would release the movies, <laughs> uh, the movies released on Friday, but that was the first time they started experimenting and releasing them on Thursday night. So he was in school, but we would stay up to midnight uh, for the early release and, uh, and go watch these, these Marvel movies. Wow. And when I, when I started developing this software, what I noticed is when I would think about an idea or a name or an individual securities, the first thing that I would do is run to my software to check out, check out the data, to see what the data told me. And eventually it came to run my investment process. And that was the thing that I visualized when, you know, you look at Tony Stark and him with Jarvis and, and bringing up those images and coming up with ideas. It was very similar for me when I was evaluating the investment market. So that's what sprung to mind when I thought about naming it. Well, it makes sense. I mean, uh, Jarvis was obviously running all the technology with a, more than a supercomputer, right? So that, that makes sense. If it, if it, and if it works, well, why not, right? Name it that. It's better than naming it Lurch. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Or Thing. <laughs> well, what I find these days, Andrew, I don't know about you when you're running your shop, but there's so much data, oh. you know, for us, we follow, you know, it's probably 5,000 investable individual stocks, but for us, we follow bond market as well. And there's over a hundred thousand individual QCIPs and it's almost, it is impossible to follow manually. Yeah. So we developed software 
to help us not only create shortcuts, um, but really allow us, um, I don't want to say AI, but uh, to allow us to, for the technology to show us things that we wouldn't ordinarily catch on our own. You know, it's interesting because um, you, you talk about the, the, the data. Not only is there a vast number of potential investment opportunities in just the equity market, then you have the ETF market, then you have the mutual fund market, right? Then, then we can kind of keep going on this discussion with what the markets are. But, but, but it's more than that. It's the underlying information as well that you have out there and the ever-changing look at things. For example, one of the things that we saw in, in, in recent time is – the notion that somehow additional data points named ESG have become a worthwhile venture to look at, right? So now you have not only all the ratios, all the fundamental uh, underpinnings, credit items, uh, technical issues that come with any particular name, but it's, you know, you got these other things. It's kind of like, I mean, it's, it's, it's like trying to take a sip out of an open fire hydrant, right? When you look at this, <laughs> Um, it's, it's just an incredible amount. I mean, how, how does any individual really know, you know, look by looking at one data point, they're looking at, um, enterprise value to earnings or something. I pick, pick whatever you want, whatever particular ratio you want to look at the peg ratio, which is important, but is that the most important? How do you weight the information in terms of importance of what you want to look at? Yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of it has to do with what security that we're looking at. Um, but I think, you know, let's just start with stocks, which is the most basic. When you really boil it all down, the most important, there's a lot of most important, right. uh, like Howard Marks says, but <laughs> right. the most important is cash flow. In particular, free cash flow uh, is really, really important. Now, the reason I say there's a lot of most importance is if you look at companies that you know, our specialization when we talk about stocks, our tagline is we're looking for stocks that can double in the next two or three years. And really, we're looking for things that can compound a lot of times, meaning that they can go from 100 to 500. A lot of those names are earlier names, earlier stage names, because they're growth businesses. Mm -hmm. There is not free cash flow. If we're looking at, there's not free cash flow yet, because they're using all the free cash flow to reinvest in the business to drive more growth. And if that's the only stat you're looking at, you're going to miss a lot of doubles and triples. So the first one I would say is free cash flow, but not always. The other one is return on invested capital. That is hugely, hugely important how profitable a company is over time. But again, that's a reported number based off net income. And a lot of companies that are going to be doubles and triples, they're not showing reported net income yet. So those are those metrics are really, really important. But like you mentioned, there's a lot of data points. So you can't just have one data point and say, I only do this because, boy, your view is going to be very limited. Well, I mean, look, when you look at a stock like a, um, a technology name, whatever it is, uh, and, and utilize, let's say, free cash flow as, as a metric. But then you look at, for example, uh, a utility, right, or maybe a real estate investment trust those may not have the same importance for each other. Is that, would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Yes. You're looking at different metrics there. Um, you're exactly right. You know, real estate investment trust, you're going to be looking like funds from operation because they're not going to have reported next net income. And then with all the capital expenses on a utility, you know, people are going to be looking at some sort of book value there or dividend is how you're going to evaluate those. So it is not one metric. It certainly depends on the industry. It depends on the, uh, the business. Um, and depending on the type of investment you're looking at, you're, you're gonna have to have multiple views. Again, I'm gonna go back to Jarvis again, our securities evaluation application. You know, This is why it's really, really important to have some help because you need to be able to look at these securities through multiple dimensions. And certainly technology allows us to do it. And ours has been custom design and program for, yeah. for our view. But yes, there's a lot of ways to look at these and you need to look at multiple multiple views. So it's interesting because one of the things that um, I always talk about, as a matter of fact, one of the first chapters in the Discipline Investor book that I wrote, available on audiobook from audible.com, uh, is uh, that, that 
uh, quantitative research, which is what you're doing to a degree, right? You're doing some fundamental work, mm -hmm. but, you do, but quantitative, the way I view quantitative, it, there's a lot of different ways to view it. But I'm going to keep it simple because when you get very complicated, it's a whole different animal. And essentially what you're doing is looking for certain data points or ratios or information from a company that can provide you metrics that meet certain qualifications. That's how I basically look at it. And in order to do so, yes, you can scrape through numbers and put a check mark next to that one, check mark next to that one, or you can use technology to assist you in the process. Now, obviously, it's much more, uh, I think, streamlined, accurate, uh, and a much better way to do things to save you a lot of time to do this. But you're talking about the idea of quantitative investing and, you know, coming up with um, you know, these metrics that that give us a better shot, right? That give us what is the look of a stock, of a company that has certain attributes that other ones may have had that also show us that, wow, the potential for their, or what we're seeing is their free cash flow is growing at a pretty substantial rate on top of the fact that they're really good at um, making money on the and return on their on their invested capital. And these are hallmarks, right? I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I'm just kind of starting the conversation here. These are the hallmarks of what? Uh, so these are the hallmarks of, of, of winners. You know, I would say, really, if you boil it down, you, you mentioned quantitative factors. Yes, you're exactly right. Really, what we're looking for is momentum. Mm-hmm. And really what we're looking for is acceleration and deceleration, not just in stock price, but in business fundamentals. So if you think about a company that uh, was growing at 10%, now all of a sudden they're growing at 15. Mm. Well, that's a 50% acceleration. And then let's think of the opposite of that, of the company that was growing at 15, now all of a sudden they're growing at 10. There's been a deceleration there. So we wanna find out what is happening. Is that a trend that's likely to continue? Is it a one-off because of COVID? And if there is an acceleration, how sustainable is the acceleration? So really that is what we're looking at. And when you boil down to the fundamentals, the fundamentals is what really is driving the acceleration or right. deceleration. But it's much easier to you know, program and look for the acceleration and deceleration and roll up your sleeves to find out is this something that makes sense and how sustainable it is. One of the things during COVID that was very interesting was obviously we saw the shutdown and impact of the panic, lack of confidence, concern over the long-term economic scenario, and then the relatively immediate jump back, right? The immediate uh, move of not only the stock market doing well, but companies like like coming out of it smelling like a rose. You know, must say like, hey, let's have uh, one of these every five years. It's going to be pretty good, right? Um, <laughs> but one one little item that seemed to have been flown under the radar. The time timing of it, I think, was was pretty good. Was that there was a loss provision um, allowance that was put into law, I don't know if you followed this, where companies were allowed to go back and pull forward their losses to enhance their overall earnings. Did you see any of this? Did you follow any of this? Yeah, I remember hearing about it. It really hasn't, um, for us, it hasn't come up in our work uh, a lot. But yeah, you're right. I do remember that and so it helped it helped a lot of companies, particularly cyclicals. It helped. It helped quite a bit. But yes, I do recall that. Because um, the reason I ask this is because how do we really, well, let, let's let's maybe agree with this. The companies and their accounting teams are pretty smart. Creative. Yes. Creative. Yes. And sometimes uh, tricky. <laughs> Would we agree with that? Yes. <laughs> so, so, so that's why you pay them. Yeah. So not. So I don't want to. We don't have to really get into all the footnoting issues that go on and all that. But you know, you start hearing things like, um, and we're starting to hear it now. You know, for a long time we hear things like, um, well, the weather. You know, the weather wasn't or uh, transitory. These words, right? Or uh, 
or, or the latest one that I'm starting to hear again, which is making the rounds, is constant currency in on a mm-hmm. constant currency basis. And mm-hmm. and um, so, I mean, when we have these carry forward losses that can be used in previous years, so these losses that were kind of put on the books and you weren't allowed to use it, now you are able to use it and restate the uh, uh, you know the actual gains in years past and 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 to enhance your um, past inf- past earnings and therefore use more losses in other words to come across of it right so you can lower your tax base et cetera and get some tax base and this is something that really aside from all the other money that came in and um, I, I just find it you know how do you how do you how do you see through this stuff because it gets a little murky doesn't it. it- it, it, it does. Uh, it does. Remember, here's how we sort of look at it. The markets are always forward looking. And I understand what Congress was doing when they, you know, allow companies to go in and recapture. And basically, they were allowing them to, you know, uh, go back and, and recapture, recast those losses. So hopefully that generates for them uh, current cash mm-hmm. that they could go back and, and get a tax refund or do whatever to put them on a more solid financial footing. But the other thing that they did that I think, Andrew, was a lot more impactful was when the Federal Reserve basically lowered interest rates last year in April, in April 2020. And this was so significant, the $2 trillion that they spent in the, uh, in the bond markets, because what it allowed all these corporations to do is to refinance debt. And what we're seeing even today when we're listening to companies and listening to these transcripts and companies are upgrading their earnings forecast and um, they're going back and, you know, if a company had 8% outstanding debt and now they're able to refinance at four and their interest costs go from a billion to 500 million, that additional 500 million, that flows into earnings, Mm -hmm. which boosts their stock price. Right. And that's why you're seeing a lot of these companies' stock prices shoot up. And uh, it, that has been unbelievably impactful. And that's not a one-time thing. That's currently ongoing. So if you look at the, the bond markets and debt issuance, both in investment grade and especially high yield, it has been incredible. Companies are able to you know, uh, purchase debt uh, at, that were higher cost debt, reissue lower cost debt, and reissue it for longer. That was unbelievably beneficial for corporate America. So that's had a huge impact. So like you said, I mean, it's, it's ongoing. I see, I see tender offers coming across my desk every day, mm-hmm. you know, and, and why not? Cause I asked the question, I'll ask you, if you're able to borrow money at 0%, how much money are you going to borrow? All of it, all of it, everything <laughs> that's possible. The, yeah. uh, just, just back up more than the truck. Just, just <laughs> keep the, 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 the faucet open. I'll take it all. And, and truly, if you think about that, not only have they been able to, we'll say, provide for a better balance sheet, lower cost of loan, um, loan cost, and 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 their their factors there, but but they're also using it for a couple of different things. One, to obviously buy back stocks, which is a financial sweetener, just from a standpoint of making things look better, a little financial engineering going on there, but also to goose profits. So. Mm-hmm. Really, how long can this go on? Well, you know, it has been going on for a long time. When you think about interest rates going lower, borrowing costs decreasing. And I'm just thinking about working with, you know, my clients. And every day, you know, somebody retires and every seven seconds, somebody turns 60 or older. And at that time, the demand for income or predictable income into a portfolio to offset what one was earning while they were working, it grows exponentially. And the corporations may have been helped by interest rates being so low, but the investor, the saver has certainly been hurt. You know, 20 years ago when, you know, when I first started, you could have a million dollar portfolio. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're good to go. You're good to go. CDs CDs (laughs) are safe bonds. Right. And you could generate $50,000 a year in in, in interest income. Yeah. About 10 years ago, you still could do 25 to $30,000. Nowadays, that same million dollar portfolio, you know, if you're doing money markets, CDs or safe bonds, 
you're looking at 10,000. And I don't know how you have to get, you know, it's almost impossible to get back to the 50. So yes, it may be great for corporate America, but for the average investor, the saver, the retiree, my goodness, it's going to be difficult. So when you say, how long can this go on? Well, man, it's been going on for a generation. It and has, I've been it saying it can't, I've been saying it can't continue for a generation and I've been wrong. So I'm I gonna remember, say gonna... I remember sitting with a particular client years and years and years and years ago. And I remember this client back then had, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or so. And I remember looking at various investments for them. And, and basically you could pick at will a mutual fund, a bond, a selection of bonds, possibly closed end fund, a UIT, uh, pick, your po pick your poison, right? You could pick anything and get an easy 5%, easy. And you took that and you combined it with social security. And she was like, that's great. And I always, I don't know why I had this thought of the movies and the idea she said, you know, I'd like to, I think maybe she brought it up that I'd like to go to the movies every once in a while on a cruise once a year. And we calculate a few things and like, okay, you could do this considering that. And, but then I started thinking over the years and she's long past, uh, but you know, what is that same person? And maybe inflate up, as you mentioned, um, you know, where we are now. You know, if they can go to the bank and get 0.3%. I was talking to a client just this morning. We're talking about what's the choice? What are you going to do? You're going to leave it in a bank? What's the bank? Even if the bank is really good to you and gives you 0.5%. You know, and then do you, what, what, what are the other alternatives? Do you want to be in some of those, you know, crazy crypto schemes? Or do you want to be, you know, just yeehaw into markets? So, I guess the obvious question there, my friend, is where are the income opportunities? But but before you answer, now we're gonna hold you, we're gonna hold you for a second there. We're gonna leave that as a cliffhanger because I want to talk about two things. First, I want to talk about I want to talk about interactive brokers because they have a new uh, trading platform with crypto, and essentially, if you want to trade crypto, you could do it for as they say less coin on the Interactive Brokers Professional Grade Platform. And it is a professional grade platform. There's no question about that. So why pay hidden spreads of 1% to 2% on other brokers and other platforms? Because the commissions at Interactive Brokers are just 12 to 18 basis points. Much less. I mean, 10 times less. With no hidden spreads, markups, or custody fees. Plus, you can trade stocks and options, futures, fiat currencies, bonds, and much more on the same integrated platform. So why not, right? It's all in one place. Learn more at ibkr.com slash crypto. ibkr.com slash crypto. The other thing I want to talk about, and we're going to talk about um, where those income opportunities are in a second with Noel, is... Uh, is our crowd, because a lot of people have wished that, well, that you can get it early, and you're probably some of them, on the best performing IPOs of 2019, 2020, and our crowd investors were, and now you can join them in what's next. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have been benefited from companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. And now you can invest in Consumer Physics, who has developed the first portable lab-grade device that can analyze material at a molecular level, helping farmers boost production, improve efficiency, and minimize waste. Consumer physics has grown revenue 100% year over year and is used by over 50 global enterprise customers. Invest today at our crowd. Our crowd accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in growing tech companies. So today you could join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com slash TDI. Ourcrowd.com slash TDI. So let's get back to the question. Noel, where do we get the income? It is really tough. We have, we spend an inordinate 
amount of time evaluating income ideas. I mean, it is unbelievable. We use technology, Jarvis, to do it. And then we publish on our site, Left Brain IR, an income securities portfolio. So there's a few uh, things I'm going to bring up to listeners that I think are interesting. One, from corporate bonds, we can still get yield. So these are corporate high yield bonds. So there is some risk here. You know, if you go and you buy a 10-year treasury today, you say you have no sort of risk that I'm going to get repaid. Unfortunately, you're going to get about 1.3 to 1.4% on your money. And with inflation, you know, the last inflation print we got on CPI was 4%. So you know that you're a net 2.5% loser per year. Mm -hmm. So that's really tough to do. Uh, If you get investment grade bonds right now on average, depending on the maturity, you're going to get between 2 and 3%. So then you say, that's not bad. Now I'm only a 1% loser with purchasing power every year. But if you want to keep up with inflation, you need to get at least 4 to 5% yields. Right now, we are finding them in high-yield bond market. And so, you know, there's some risk here because the businesses do have debt. So we have to follow them to make sure that they don't go under and that they're still performing. Fortunately, in a low interest rate environment, we are finding them. But in the high yield bond market, Andrew, we're still finding uh, businesses where we can get yields of 5%. You know, I just did a podcast last week and I said five is the new eight. These high yield bonds, we used to love them when they paid 8%, but now they're probably just as risky, but they only pay five. And what, what, kind the, of rate, what kind of ratings are we talking about? Uh, you're talking about in the, the sweet spot is double B, mm-hmm. but generally single B, you can get them. I'll give you a couple of names if you'd like. Uh, that the listeners will know. Mm -hmm. But you're looking in the uh, B, we'd love to be in the double B range. Sometimes it's single B to double B uh, is where you are. Well, the double B would be great because if you do get an upgrade to triple B, you get a nice appreciation on the value of your your note. All Yeah, anything that can get upgraded. So generally the lower in credit quality, most people, you know, uh, for some sort of way, they harken back to their days in school and they love to get A's and B's. But if you talk to them about, you know, anything in C, they they cringe. (laughs) But in the corporate high yield bond market, ratings go from, you know, triple A to triple, you know, to double A to single A to triple B to double B to single B. And then they start at triple C plus. You don't want to go anything below that. But you talk about making money in bonds. The way that you make it, if you have something that gets upgraded from triple C uh, up to the next ranking, which is, you know, single B and then double B. And that's how you get capital appreciation in these bonds. And there's been a ton of those that have happened this year. Um, but uh, so anyway, we, we certainly want to make sure that these companies have the ability to repay us, that they're generating free cash flow. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, the fact that the Fed lowered interest rates and borrowing costs decreased, nobody benefited more than companies that were heavily indebted. Hence, the lower credit ratings, triple C, single B. These companies had more debt, which is one of the reasons that they have a lower ranking. They benefited most. And um, so, yes, you can get, you know, yields in the high yield bond market. Five percent is is really the number. Sometimes you can get a six here and there. Mm -hmm. But five to six is what you could expect. Another area, Andrew, that we've been looking at that have been um, interesting to us is the preferred stock market. Mm -hmm. And uh, generally, this is an area that we haven't done a lot of work in because it hasn't been very interesting. But a lot of these corporations now, because the bond markets uh, have a lower yield um, and the capital markets are open to these corporations, preferred stocks have been pretty interesting. And I know you're familiar with them, but just so the listeners are familiar, if you look at a capital structure of uh, of a business, the most risky stock, the one that's on the bottom is the common stock. That's where if something goes wrong, you lose the most. And then in the uh, above that is something called a preferred stock. So they get repaid and they're above, they're senior in the corporation than common. And then above them or the safest spot to be is some sort of bond. Unsecured, it's more risky and then secured. So the preferred stock sort of sits in the middle. Um, they come out at generally a par price of $25, then they generally will have a maturity date at $25, and then there's a stated preferred dividend. And usually companies are somewhat obligated to pay these dividends. 
Um, so they, and they're, they're pretty decent. So we're finding a lot of these preferred stocks, we can get 7% is what the, uh, what the yields are right now. And the big risk with preferred stock used to always be if you have a fixed preferred stock yield at seven and interest rates go up and let's say interest rates go up to eight, but now I'm stuck with a 7% preferred, then my preferred has to get discounted. Well, now these companies are in these uh, corporate treasurers are getting really, really shift. They're getting smart. And so they issue these with call, you know, you'll have call protection for four or five years. But then instead of being fixed forever, they convert to some sort of base rate, like 5.5% plus a LIBOR spread. So they're fixed to floating. So in case rates go up, uh, you take advantage of higher rates. The only problem with preferreds are that I see, aside from rate risk, of course, and all the other things involved with company risk and all that, is um, they're, preferreds, generally speaking, are far less liquid than common. And any kind of corporate upheaval, you just have to be prepared for. As a matter of fact, saying it a different way is that one of the things I do like about preferreds is if there is any kind of market event, a lot of times these get discounted pretty heavily and good, you know, and make for a very good opportunity uh, for investment. Absolutely, they do. Yes. And a lot of times as well, they're not well followed. And, uh, and they're not well understood. So you can have a corporation that'll issue one that isn't well followed. The terms, they have to use really good terms as a sweetener. And you can actually pick up some that are really, really attractive. Uh, and then you can have some opportunity for capital appreciation. So it doesn't happen often, but if you're paying attention, um, there's a couple that are out that have actually done spectacular. But yes, you're right, and you're right about the liquidity. That it's one of the risks that, if you know any listeners or any investors are thinking of participating in this market, you have to really be careful. The liquidity um, certainly is an issue. Now let's talk about let's talk about a little bit about the um, the area of uh, the energy structure, energy complex, right? So we've seen that oil uh, beyond the idea that. Well, we're seeing a little bit of a slowdown due to COVID variants, Delta, Lambda, blah, 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 blah. And we're seeing shutdowns in Vietnam and China starting to close down again. We saw Australia, New Zealand. We saw all this going on, pullbacking, pulling back from travel plans, et cetera. But oil seems to magically keep on moving higher. One of the other beneficiaries of what we're seeing recently due to the, we'll say, climate issues that have been going on. I'm not saying climate change, just the general weather, weather issues, uh, are... Um, impacting, like, for example, natural gas, up 100% this year, up 220% from the low that we saw back when. And uh, maybe a little bit, getting a little bit uh, long in the tooth there because, you know, you're thinking about uh, for gasoline, the question of, well, if we're getting more and more electric cars, how does that work? But, of course, we know that the Saudis and OPEC are pushing and pulling on the buttons. But there are some opportunities related to these sectors, Right. Yes. Uh, yes. You nailed them all, oh. Andrew. Uh, <laughs> you pretty much, you're on it. Um, so there's a few things happening. Most people, when they think of the energy complex, you're right, they're thinking of oil, black gold. And we'll remember, it was almost a year ago today that for a while, oil went negative. You know, oh. that was the joke. Fascinating. And it's unbelievable in the matter of 15 months, they went from negative to over $70 a barrel. It's amazing how that happens. So, uh, you know, oil, you know, the the Saudis um, and the Russians really had it out last year and uh, they restricted supply. But another thing that happened here in the, in, you know, in the, in the oil patch here in the U.S., we also have been more disciplined on drilling and fracking. And uh, so we produce, we're the swing producer at over 10 million barrels a day. And our oil companies here um, have done a lot better job with uh, restricting supply. It used to be those oil companies, they got a couple mm -hmm. extra bucks and all they could think about is drilling more wells. Mm -hmm. Now the word you hear on every call, every transcript trip, Every CEO has this script out 
and that's live within cash flow. And they're no longer expanding volumes and giving up price. Now they're thinking of profits and they've heard the word from their investors. So supply has been restricted, but as global economies, you know, come out from this COVID, our demand for oil is, is going up again. And that's even with the renewables. So you're right. I think one of the things that's missing that I did want to point out, and there's ways to play oil. I think people are just really nervous about going in buying oil stocks. They've been one of the best performers on the year to date, but I think they're going to be tough to buy. I think they're just going to be really, really tough uh, to buy these companies. Uh, but we do like to play, uh, there's a different way we like to play oil, and that is through pipelines. Um, you know, they don't necessarily trade based off of price, but based off of volumes. And volumes are continue to increase. The contracts tend to be guaranteed, take or pay. But they also pay really, really good dividends. And they've been sort of left for dead for about a decade. But the dividends, in a lot of cases, are north of 7%. They're committed to increasing them over time. And uh, we think that's probably a better way to play, play oil. One other thing I wanted to mention that you mentioned earlier when you were talking about uh, oil, um, what was happening in energy is natural gas. I think that's a lot more interesting, Andrew. I think that is very, very interesting for the listeners. Uh, it, natural gas now, you mentioned, is up over 100% year to date, but it's back over $4 per BTU. And uh, natural gas here has been left for dead for a very long time. It's fallen off of most people's radar. Unlike oil, um, we're really the Saudi Arabia when it comes to natural gas production. Yeah, I think we're next net exporter, aren't we? Yes, absolutely, through the, the uh, liquid natural gas. But what most people fail to realize, you'll remember going back a decade or more, it was natural gas that put coal out of business. Right. You know, one by one, every coal company in this country went bankrupt. And most, a lot of power plants switched from producing energy via, nat um, via coal to now they produce it natural gas. So the demand for natural gas has been going up steadily for over 10 years. What kept the price down was a few things. The big one was drilling. You know, you really get natural gas as a byproduct of looking for oil. And as we were, you know, had 800 or more drilling rigs in this country looking for oil, they found natural gas as a byproduct and really just flared it. So we're awash in natural gas. Well, now that they're restricting their drilling, you're not getting this surplus of natural gas. At the same time, we've got all of these energy sources having converted to natural gas. So the supply of natural gas hasn't gone up. The demand has continued to increase. And I think that's what you see in that gas. Interestingly, here, we're at $4 a BTU, but over in Europe, they're over $15. So there's still an opportunity for that arbitrage spread. So we think here, we think natural gas is very interesting, and we would not be surprised to see natural gas prices at least stay in this range, if not go up from here. So we're thinking about ways to participate there as well. I mean, alt energy is a big issue right now. You see the price of uranium? With the, I mean, <laughs> yes. uranium's, uranium's gone just vertical, um, yeah. you know, with, with all of this energy, because we're looking for alternatives, especially where, you know, we're thinking that there's going to be restrictions on certain areas. But, you know, the, 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 I think there's some thought that fossil fuels in general are going to be a thing of the past. And it's just not happening as quickly. I mean, the renewables that we're seeing, whether it's solar or some kind of hydro or some kind of. Um, other type of renewable is not quite ready for prime time, it seems, especially, you know, we're talking about the electric grid. People don't think that there's anything that is required to burn or to utilize to create electricity. It's it's a plug. It just comes out of the wall. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> what do you mean? It's electric. It's right there. It's, it's, uh, it's right there. But obviously electricity has to be also created. And, uh, you know, some of this is going into, I think, the escalation of other um, energy sources that's obviously behind the scenes creation of this. What other 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 stocks, what other market issues are really, uh, really coming to the fore? I mean, the IPO market has been on fire. 
some of the numbers that have come out have been, well, frankly, frightening in terms of valuations. So, mm-hmm. uh, so um, ON, uh, the sneaker company back, uh, backed by Federer just went up to a level that Nike would only wish they ever had. Uh, and even though we know of all of the incredible amount of problems they're having with supply chain in Vietnam, which is why Nike was downgraded this week, uh, this company got a super-duper premium. I looked at their shoes, for example. Eh, interesting. They're cute. Some of them are nice. I thought uh, they look comfortable. They don't have wide. I'm a, I don't, didn't see wide. Uh, I'm a wide foot, so I needed that. Um, but but my point is, are we seeing valuations uh, that are really concerning to you? Or is it more of like, yeah, there's some things that are bad, of course, and some things that uh, are, are not so bad and some things that are actually, quite frankly, pretty attractive? Yeah, I would say so, uh, Andrew. Um, so let's go back to the IPO thing that you mentioned you know, IPO market's a little bit different, especially, you know, if we go back to Y2K or something, when we had that last technology IPO boom, and you'd really want to buy the IPOs before they came public, because, you know, you could do very, very well in the weeks or months after. IPO market's a little bit different now. Companies still need to raise capital. So we still have a lot of IPOs that come out. Every now and then you'll get something that's really popular and a big name. But companies, by and large, are staying private longer. You know, you have this money coming in from the private equity and the venture world, and they have a lot of it. So companies don't have the need to come out and IPO as early as they did before. A little bit more challenging for the investor because it's hard to hit on something early stage where you're going to have these huge gains right after. The other side of that is companies tend to be healthier, more profitable when they do come out. Um, But I don't think it's going to be a tremendous source of uh, future profits just trying to look at companies that come out in, in IPO. Mm-hmm. In regards to valuation, I would agree with you. You have to be careful. I think by and large, we're not seeing much in the way of egregious valuations. You know, the headlines, numbers, the market's not necessarily cheap. We don't, it doesn't look, you know, when we look at these individual businesses, we don't find much that's wildly, I mean, we think find things that are pricey, but uh, not egregious, especially given where interest rates are. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple of things I did want to share with you. We follow on our database of Jarvis about a thousand individual names that we're interested in, and we follow them every week. As of today, we did our last ranking last night, actually. Brian, our director of research, did. We have 32 securities that we follow that are, um, that are up 100% or more on the year to date. And there's five of them that are up 200% Hmm. or more year to date. Um, And when I look through, and I look through sort of a common theme, there aren't very many that are really, really expensive. Everything has sort of a different story to it. Um, It's not like there's a lot of things that are in here that has some egregious valuation. Out of the 33, I would say there is two. There are really two in here that trades at like a premium price to sales number mm-hmm. um, that you would consider, you know, there's one that trades at 70 and one that trades at 50 times forward sales numbers. No, oh. everything, everything else just has sort of a story behind it. I mean, but, but, but also, you know what, I, I think we've allowed this. I mean, you go 10 years ago, something trading at 50 times sales would, would be, nobody would buy that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, right. We've we've adjusted our we've adjusted you know we've we've kind of sunk into the idea we've 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 become numb as we have in the past. I think this is one of those times. Mark me if you'd like that we are going to go back and say yeah. I remember we were trying. Remember eyeballs? We were counting yeah. eyeballs, and that was something. Or you know, and and then t- the, the, a couple of things that like some catchphrases. Like um, path to profitability. When I hear that, I get all shaken up. When I hear when I hear somebody talk about TAM, total addressable yeah. market, I'm like, oh no 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 no, don't go there. That's a problem. I mean, I just think that some of the things that we're looking at right now, um, not that we can't have the opportunity moving forward, especially because I think this is all set in the backdrop of zero interest rate environment. Without that, the all bets are off. Would you would you at least 
kind of come on my side with that one? <laughs> yeah, I would agree. I, but here's what I would say, though, Andrew, is that um, we're seeing a, a few common themes here in just in what we follow that leads us to believe, like I said, everything has sort of a, in a you know, a different um, sort of story to it. And not everything is the same. What I mean by that is there's a couple major themes that are happening. And if you are in one of these themes, you're going to get a higher valuation. What I mean by that is, one, for the world itself, business models are changing. So where in the past we use valuation metrics like, hey, price to book and even price to earnings ratios, a lot of those aren't as applicable because the businesses themselves these days are a lot different. The business models are different, meaning, you know, before if I had a company that was going to be a $100 billion company, Generally, you know, it would take me a lot in CapEx to set up my plant, to hire my people, uh, to develop a product. But now, you know, if you have a digital business, you know, you can start right online. Your startup costs are very, very minimal, minimal no, not a lot of capital. And because of the internet, I can distribute it to 7 billion people across the globe very quickly with very low cost. And it just changes the paradigm. I'm not going to have a book value there because I didn't have CapEx to start with. And my margins are going to look a lot better right from right from the beginning. So we have to be careful. Um, but what I, the reason I say that is there's a couple of things that are happening that are really displacing legacy companies with better business models. And there's a few themes that you know I'm going to leave the listeners with just so they're sort of aware. One of them is here's the six big themes that are happening. One is the legalization of marijuana. As you know, we have more and more states now that not only for medicinal use, but also for recreational use. And so that was a big theme that people are people are chasing. Not that interesting these days because, you know, the market there hasn't really come around. The other one is sports gaming. You know, it used to be if I wanted to bet on a game, uh, my Miami Dolphins playing this week against the Bills, I had to get on a plane and, and fly to Vegas to do it. Now I can just jump on an app. And, and, and do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so uh, you have that business that's really putting the physical business of Vegas uh, in a little bit of peril. Uh, the other one is digital assets, whether it's Bitcoin or whatever, but the digitization of, of assets and physical property is one of the themes. Uh, cybersecurity is another one. All of our important things, all of our data is not really in the real world anymore. It's online. It's in an app. And it's in the digital world, and I need to secure that. So the infrastructure around security is, is quite a bit different, and cybersecurity is going to be growing with this. And then the final one is the digitization of the workplace, um, and those things are early endings. So what we find, the reason I mentioned those, is, Andrew, the companies that are operators and leaders in those industries that generally they are replacing legacy companies that exist with last generation business models and last generation financial metrics. And what you find is the new companies that operate, the environment for them is better. They're, um, they're more profitable, they're better business models. And so you're gonna get higher valuations mm -hmm. as they continue to take share. Yeah. So. Uh, Interesting. I mean, it the 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 change of what we're seeing though is so rapid isn't it with all this i mean you talking you're talking about cryptocurrency which really is a five year phenomena right <laughs> i mean or, or I the digitalization of this stuff or the nft yeah. world or the you know maybe even the blockchain usage on in in the markets it's it's kind of a fascinating thing well i got to tell you those the we got got to kind of um really i guess step back and then step into to really understand a lot of that uh, we're seeing right now in terms of all this, a lot of information, a lot of good stuff. Nolan Langford, we're going to have to kind of cut it there though. Thank you. Thank you for the listeners. Yeah. I just want to remind them if they go to our site, left, right, IR, we do have a discount code uh, for all of your listeners, Andrew, if they Thank enter Jarvis 33, Jarvis 33, uh, hang on Jarvis, Jarvis 33. Interesting number there. Yes, they can get 33% off, a third off uh, the subscription price for uh, any, of our uh, any of our subscriptions for listening to your show. And then they can also receive our newsletter. We produce a Jarvis newsletter. If they enter their email address on our site, 
They can receive our weekly newsletter uh, complimentary. And that's where we put out our findings for the week and give ideas. of no, That's good that stuff. Left brain IR, like investment research on the end.com. Left brain IR. Yes, that is it. Cool stuff. All right, go Dolphins. All right, thank you. And thanks for having me. All right, see you later, buddy. Bye. Be well. There you have it. Going to wrap up this week with a great interview, Nolan Langford. Thank you so much for that. Uh, also, I want to mention, please, if you want to know more about what we do, how we can help you, people just like you come to us all the time and want to know more about, well, how can they optimize their investments? Go over to the disciplinedinvestor.com. Find out more about what we have to offer and if it is appropriate for you. TheDisciplineInvestor.com. Thanks for joining me this week. I will see you again next week. Bye-bye. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company. 